0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the ENBR 203 podcast. Uh, this is the episode for week one, and our organizing question is how can we listen to others in our ecological community, and why does this matter? I'm Julia Freeman, and uh, thanks for listening. Okay, so As this podcast is also my opportunity to lecture a little bit and speak directly to the students in EMVR 203, uh, I would like to use the opportunity to have um, a little housekeeping session at the top here. First of all, I wanted to make sure everyone is aware of the fact that um, the course recording, uh, the kind of intro to the course recordings are now available under the lecture recording tab, um, in my courses. So if you weren't able to join us on September 2nd, you will be able to view it from there. Um, Whereas with the podcast, generally the podcasts are going to be posted inside the weekly content pages in my courses. So in the same place that you would find the weekly articles um, and my little descriptions about why we're reading what we're reading each week, you'll find the podcasts there. But for that Zoom recording, because it was a little bit different, you'll find it under lecture recordings. What else did I wanna make sure that you uh, were aware of? I wanted to let you know that the um, frequently asked question board, the FAQ board is up and running. In fact, we already have a question. So if you also have questions about the course, this is a great place for you to ask, and uh, the responses will be able to benefit everyone. So just a reminder about that. And lastly, just a reminder as well that along with this podcast, you're also going to have slides to help you get familiar with um, written definitions for key concepts, core ideas, these kinds of things. Um, And so hopefully having the written annotated slides and the podcast will build a kind of weekly structure of materials for you, um, consulting them both should be a part of your weekly routine. Um, and I would encourage you to go back and take a look at the syllabus. Make sure that you've read it all the way through and that you check the course schedule just to make sure that you have a good handle on what you should be doing each week uh, because everything is in there. Um, and it's a, it's a helpful way. I, I like to have a copy of the schedule close at hand. I, I refer to it a lot, so I hope that it can be useful for you as well okay so I think that's it for housekeeping Uh, at this point I'd like to have us turn to the overarching question for uh, the week which is how can we listen to others in our ecological community and why does this matter and perhaps the reason why I'm asking the question is not even so clear I think I think it helps us bridge together the David Orr reading of the trial and the first uh, little bit of The Rights of Nature by David Boyd. Um, And certainly this this question, I mean, you're listening to me right now. (laughs) And I think this question of how we listen, and why does listening matter, is going to set up many discussions for us uh, in the weeks ahead. But I I think it can specifically help us think through the first few chapters that we've read for today. Now how we can listen is, um, a challenging question and maybe one that will be easier to unpack once we have a sense of why it matters. For me, um, I start at the, the place where we remember, we recognize, we, uh, acknowledge the horror of the fact that humans are causing a sixth extinction on this planet, killing 100 billion animals a year. Human actions are essentially erasing the colors of this diverse rainbow of life on the planet. Um, That matters. (laughs) that matters and it doesn't only matter because it benefits humanity to have diversity of life on the planet which it does Uh, but one of the things that we're going to consider in this course is that there are in fact important ethical questions about the rights of these forms of life and what they deserve what moral consideration should they be afforded And in fact, until we become interested in them, not only in terms of their use value to us as humans, but in terms of their own right to exist, until we actually start to consider them, in other words, to listen to them, we will remain in these relationships of domination, of extractivism. um, let me let me tell you a story to illustrate this uh, a little bit, and see if this can uh, help make the the connection more clear. I have a friend who is a um, geographer, critical geographer, uh, feminist scholar, and she she specializes in animal studies as well, and so she was at this conference, it was a Canadian conference, focused on caribou, and typically with academic conferences what you see is all of the political scientists get together or all of the plant biologists get together and they have these kind of highly specialized conversations. Um, Whereas the Caribou Conference was something different because you had ecologists, geographers, anthropologists, wide range of disciplines, uh, social science and natural science Uh, interested because their work in one way or another touches uh, on caribou you also had um, indigenous elders and other community members who were present because their livelihoods are connected to caribou uh, and they're deeply invested in the health and wellness of the caribou species in Canada and they have of course um, deep expertise on uh, caribou migration patterns and, and behaviors. Uh, and so essentially everyone who cares about caribou uh, came to this conference. And so it was unusual in that sense in in organizing by topic rather than by discipline and by having academics and non-academics. It was an interesting space. And uh, already my friend was enjoying this kind of rich mix of people and perspectives at the conference. But for her, the the really um, profoundly moving moment was at the end of the opening panel. There were several different experts who had spoken, kind of a long table. This was back when conferences would happen in person, of course, uh, a couple of years ago now. And um, so there was a panel of people sitting all together at the front of the room, and they had each said their piece. Um, and the last to speak was a uh, in, Indigenous elder. I'm not, I, I'm not sure that she told me his nation, so I, I can't recall that detail right now. Um, but in any case what made such an impression on her was that she asked everyone to wonder for all of this great talk that they had had uh what would the caribou think what would the caribou say and he actually went and pulled up a chair an empty chair to have it at the panel so that there would be a physical reminder to everyone as important policy decisions were made, as people got excited about research and new directions and insights, as the future of caribou in many ways in the country was being worked out, speculated upon, that we might actually remember to consider the caribou as an agent at that conference too, to listen to the caribou, to imagine it's what it would say in all of that conversation. So, I think this is one way we can start to listen. Uh, By making space, in in that example, it's physical space by pulling up the chair. Uh, It can also be kind of cognitive space where we allow ourselves to hold our attention for, um, for, perspectives we might not usually consider, and ask questions that don't usually center on our own interests quite so much, but rather imagine uh, centering the interests of others who are maybe not always afforded uh, a voice. Because the thing is that we know that business as usual is a disaster for life on earth. We have so much data about this. And so this course wants to invite you to think about how we think, to think about how we relate, to think about how we can transform the systems that we rely on so that they can go from being unjust and harmful to ethical and sustainable. So in our listening, it becomes a way of shifting the whole conversation Okay, so at this point, I think maybe we should drill down a little bit into uh, the first readings from the rights of nature. Uh, I'd like to begin by just pointing out what a remarkable fellow uh, David Boyd, the author of this book, is. He's currently serving as the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and the Environment, Uh, and he's one of canada's leading experts in environmental law and policy actually and he's an associate prof uh, of law policy and sustainability at the institute for resources environment and sustainability at ubc uh, which is where i met him because we were actually in grad school there together at the same time uh david boyd has advised many governments from Canada to Sweden on environmental and constitutional issues. So he's um, got a lot of expertise um, at this intersection of law and environment. And so in thinking about what he does in these early uh, readings, I want to remind us you know that there are many different ways to appeal for taking care of the natural world so we could say for example that humans have a right to a healthy environment and uh, that's that seems like a legitimate claim to make but we should be careful that it's the only claim that we make uh, if our interest in tending the the living planet is exclusively because we want a nice place to live, we should be alert to the fact that this is an anthropocentric approach. So it really assumes uh, that we're viewing and interpreting everything only in terms of human experience and human values, because we're all that matters. um, Only humans have moral standing. These are some of the assumptions of this perspective. What does that mean? If something has moral standing, it is owed moral consideration. So this should be reminding you a little bit of of what you were reading in the Boyd book uh, because he also speaks about anthropocentrism, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, The problem with an anthropocentric approach in general is that it takes human exceptionalism for granted. It completely assumes um, that humans are the only species worthy of consideration in a moral sense, or otherwise. So it might suggest a better way to take care of humans. But the conversation cuts out the entire part of the picture where we think of some of the deeper problems with our current way of being, it turns away from the violences that humans reign on the planet that are serious, but don't necessarily directly affect our own personal health. So it's it has a limit in terms of what it's able to do, and uh, as a a framework or an approach for thinking about um, protecting the planet. So. There's another way of doing this, another way of framing the conversation, another way of approaching the conversation, uh, which is that nature itself has rights and warrants recognition and protection as a result. Um, and in that case, we have what we would consider an ecocentric approach on our hands. So this asserts that because ecosystems thrive through interdependence, um, that they might also be extended moral consideration and that we should really consider the whole system not even just individual species but the system as a whole as being worthy of moral consideration so it's a very different way of thinking about the picture uh, it's certainly less common but it is growing uh, gaining a kind of momentum so We're going to be working through the concepts of anthropocentrism and ecocentrism and other kinds, similar kinds of concepts in much detail uh, as we move through the semester. My point for right now is that we should appreciate the very different way these two approaches organize our thoughts about the same kind of problem. If we're interested in uh, tending the ecological community that we're a part of, an anthropocentric approach has certain limitations uh, that an ecocentric approach may not, for example. So we can ask questions such as who is listened to in these different kinds of conversations? What assumptions are we bringing to our understanding of the world? Um, how do our relationships as individuals and societies um, connect with the rest of the living planet and how might listening to others help us catch and identify and rethink our assumptions. So at the start of the book, uh, Boyd argues that there are three powerful and destructive ideas that frame the way we currently relate to the natural world and they limit how we consider our relationship with the rest of the living planet uh Boyd shows us what he calls three damaging ideas and uh a potential solution as well. So the three damaging ideas in uh the first chapter of Boyd are the following. The idea that we are different from and superior to the rest of the natural world so this is a an anthropocentric idea anthropocentrism derives from anthropos which is um, greek for human so it's this idea again that humans are somehow exceptional as a form of life on earth Um, and it's one of the reasons that we are allowed to extract, allowed to harm, allowed to use without uh, concern. This is a a kind of justification. Um, So it's one dangerous idea. Another damaging idea is that everything in nature constitutes our property, and we have the right to use it however we want. Now, when I say, we think we're different from and superior to the natural uh, world or we have the right to use nature however we want these are are not everyone's ways of thinking of course and i'm sure that even as you listen to me you're thinking about cultural groups around the world who have very different ways of understanding um human rights and responsibilities uh to the other forms of life on the planet and you're right to to ask that question or to to make that point um because it's true the the we here i want to put little scare quotes around it and it's these are um these are widespread um ways of thinking perhaps originally rooted in Western traditions uh, alongside others in certain parts of the globe, but they're not universal ways of thinking. Um, However, they are so prevalent globally now and their consequences are so wide-reaching that we can talk about them as, as ubiquitous as three damaging ideas that really do affect all of life on earth. Now the third is that humans can and should pursue limitless economic growth. And of course that this is, you know, the main priority for modern society. We really can't even imagine um what we're here for if it's not pursuing economic growth in 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 many ways. So If these three ideas are what David Boyd thinks of as the source of our problems, certainly um, responsible for this uh, sixth extinction, climate change, uh, the the most challenging ecological calamities that, that we're facing right now, he argues that the solution will be new rights, new responsibilities that transform our relationship with the natural world and so to my mind until we're really ready to engage with the experiences of others of the exploited the extracted the harmed we won't actually be able to undo these very old very damaging ideas so in a sense uh at the end of this Talk. I hope that you're carrying both Boyd's critique uh, and you're aware of these three damaging ideas, and we can explore their impacts as the term goes on, and we can certainly learn how to identify them, the assumptions that nature is property, that we should always be pursuing economic growth, and that somehow humans are just essentially different from and and better than the rest of life on Earth. These are important um, ideas to critique, but I also want us to carry with us a method, a way of approaching questions. I'm hoping through our listening, as well as through the critique, that we will be able to seriously explore the possibility of reducing the suffering of inflicted, that's inflicted on animals, of stopping human-caused extinction, and ultimately protecting nature rights so that the planet's life support. And life generating systems can actually flourish so it's not enough in other words to have the critiques we also need a method uh, by which to approach something new and what I'm suggesting here is that this listening work um, can be part of that solution so at this point I think I would like to um, let you sit with that for a moment and we will transition towards the second reading for this week, which is The Trial um, by David Orr. David Orr is the Paul Sears Distinguished Professor of Environmental Studies Politics at uh, Oberlin College. He's a very well-known environmentalist. He's the author of many books, including the wonderful Earth and Mind on Education, Environment, and the Human Prospect and he has a more recent compilation um, called Hope is Imperative. So in the article that we read for this week, David Orr asks us to imagine the Congress of all beings is bringing uh, a case against humanity and the charge is that over many thousands of years, humans have proved themselves incapable of living as citizens, members of the community of life and in recent centuries have become so numerous and so hazardous to other members of the community and the biosphere that they should be banished from the earth forever. Now I have uh, a kind of exercise here that should help us have the chance to um, practice looking for evidence, which is something that you're going to be wanting to do for your papers down the road um and so we can think that through a little bit this is an exercise that you can think through on your own and we can also come back and discuss it when we gather uh next week if that's of interest but i would like you to reflect on just that early first charge how would you think that the trial would proceed i'd like you to think about what in the Rights of Nature in the Boyd book could help you figure out some answers to uh, some questions that I have for you to reflect on here. So, one of the ways that you can do that is, as I said, by looking for evidence, which involves look for quotations, find specific examples on specific page numbers, and use quotations and references to those as your evidence um, to help you answer these questions. So how do you think the trial would turn out? And why do you think the trial would turn out that way? Do you think there is something special about Homo sapiens that just trumps all other considerations that should um, buy us mercy in a sense? do you think that there's a better defense of humanity than one that's based on a promise to improve so you'll remember in the article uh our lawyer makes that claim that we're getting better we'll be better is there a better defense than that is there any evidence that we actually are doing better or that we will do better so you can think about that question as well and finally Is there a kind of middle sentence between life and death? Under what kinds of terms could humankind receive something like a contingent life sentence or probation or something like that? So, running with the example of the trial that David Orr describes in the article, uh, you can think through these questions. They will also be written down for you in the Um, annotated slides for this week so they're there for you to to be able to spend some time with and to think through and I do encourage you to practice looking for evidence so again looking to the Boyd chapter see if you can find examples from the readings uh, that would help you support some of these claims so that's everything for me this week this is the end of the, the first podcast thanks for listening And uh, I look forward to talking with you more soon. Take care.